As we're going through the book of Galatians, is what it feels like sometimes is to, didn't we already, didn't he already say that? Haven't we heard this? This is starting to sound familiar, and that is kind of what it is. I want to show you a picture here of uh, what it looks like. Sometimes you come to church, and uh, just like this guy cutting the grass, you're blazing through tall grass, you're making progress in a new area. Sometimes when you're doing your devotions, you're getting into God's word, and new things are coming to you. And you're seeing them, hearing them, maybe for the first time. You're greatly encouraged, right? Okay, that's what church feels like. But sometimes, as we're going through Galatians, let's show the other picture. This is kind of what it feels like. You guys ever seen someone do this? Actually, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, you put a stake in the middle of your yard, self-propelled mower, tie it to the front wheel, and just let it go. It goes in a circle. It'll cut your whole lawn. When it gets to the middle, it stops. You go out shut it off. That's kind of how Galatians feels because we're going in a circle. We're covering legalism, slavery, get out of it, don't go back to it, turn to Christ and Christ alone, and then we keep going around and around and around. Every time we're getting a little bit of something new, but it seems like we keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again. And the reason for that is because this subject matter of not turning back to legalism, not turning back to enslavement, is extremely important because it is a temptation that we all face. And it's very real. The more we're in God's word, the more we're trusting and seeing his promises, the less likely we are to have this happen to us. But for all of you who cut your grass, if you remember, uh, you cut it how often? Uh, probably once a week, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Once a week is good. Why? Why do you keep going back? Because it keeps growing. And you go into the Word of God, sometimes you do forget. Sometimes you turn into the Word of God and you're thinking, I, that's familiar or that's not familiar. Reading through the Bible in a year, if you do it, as you read through it, so many times you read through it and you go, wait a minute, I know it wasn't too long ago I've read this, but this feels like the first time I've ever heard this. You, does, is that, am I the only one and I'm the pastor and I should feel bad? Or Has that happened to anyone here? Okay, good. Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are embarrassed. You won't nod your head. That's okay. I know it probably means you even more. But that's our thinking this morning. We're going to cover some of the same things that we've heard before. I'm not going to dig into all of them every time like we have before because originally they've been explained, so we're going to touch on it. We're going to keep going, okay? But this morning, our topic, no turning back from Galatians. Now, I want you to think about this. What was your first job? Your first job. My first job was a bagger at Kroger in Keller, Texas, store number 516. I still remember that. I don't know why I remember that. I tried to look it up. Uh, it's been remodeled. It's totally a different store than it, what it was when I worked there in the 90s, right? For some of you are like, oh, holy cow, that's a long time ago. Others of you are like, that was yesterday. Um, so as a bagger, you know, I went in and I, you know, my parents gave me a car. It was an older, older car. And I wanted to drive around and go do whatever I wanted. And they said, fine, you got to put gas in it. So you need to get a job. And I was like, I don't want to. But they were like, you have to. So I went to the movie theater. I went to the mall. Went to the shoe store. I went everywhere that I wanted to work. And I, I didn't get a job. So finally, my dad was like, well, just get a job at Kroger. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to work at Kroger, like bagging groceries. So finally, I applied there. And of course, they called like, hey, you can start tomorrow or whatever. You learn how to bag groceries, right? You think it's not that difficult, but they have a week-long training course on how to stack and bag groceries, right? You don't put uh, detergent and meat in the same bag, paper and plastic, and you know, the etiquette of doing your job, loading groceries, uh, put it in the car, help, and don't ask for a tip, stuff like that. Like, they would teach you all that. It's fine. I did it. I think the weird part about the whole thing is if I come up at the end of the service and I'm like, love you all, 
but I'm going to go pursue my career as a bagger. You guys would look at me like, what? Like, why? Now, I'm saying my choice. Now, if times got tough and things were difficult and I had to have a job, I would go bag groceries. I'm not above that. That's not my point. But I'm saying I would choose to go be a bagger. You would look at me like, well, what? Like, that, that's foolish, right? Like, you're not going to make enough to provide for your family. What are you thinking? I just love groceries and I love bags, so let's put the two together. That's my new career, right? You would be like, no, you're a pastor. You're a bus driver. Like, you do all these other things. Like, what, what's wrong in, in, in your thinking? Okay? That's a lighthearted example this morning of what we look back to when we see the Galatians. Paul came to Galatia, preached. Believers were found. They came, professed Christ, were believers in Christ alone. He died on the cross. Call on his name. No works on your part. Be saved. And they did. They were free from that legalistic system that the Judaizers were trying to get them to follow. All the rules, all the laws, keep the Sabbath, holy, holy, do all these things. And they were free from that. But now, they're turning around and saying, no, uh, that is good. I'm going to go back to that, where I have to work for my salvation. I want to go back and try and be holy and righteous by keeping a standard. It doesn't make any sense. That's why the title is No Turning Back. Our scripture, let's look at that in verse, uh, verses 8 through 11. Number one, in the step Paul makes for us, he says that the call that he's given to us is to not turn away from Christ. It's to stay in Christ alone. That's what we're going to look at. There's five different things that we're going to see. Number one is that we need to remember whose you are. So Paul's call to stay the course in Christ alone. Not to change it back to something else. Not to be a believer that's in Christ and, you know, you got to do the things. Or, you know, it's got to happen. It's in Christ alone. So remember whose you are. Any of you English majors out there? English majors in college? Uh, I was a uh, nonchalant professional of English grammar. Uh, English 100 is the basic course in college that everybody has to take. You have to take English 100, 101, 2, and 3. Uh, I took English 100 twice because I couldn't remember a noun, a subject, verb, and context, and all that stuff. And it was, <laughs> for some reason, the English language is not the language that I thought I knew. And I had a difficult time in college with that. But today, I'm telling you, when we use the word whose, right, remember whose you are. So when I would leave the house a lot of times, my dad would say, remember who you are, right? Positive, it's the right thing to say. But then he would also say, remember whose you are. He was telling me, not just remember who you are, don't be a fool. Remember whose you are, you belong to Christ. Now, I belong to him too, and he would punish me if I went out and did foolish things. But the concept was whose, okay? When we use the word whose, it means that it's when something belongs to someone. The Galatians needed to remember that. We need to remember that. Remember whose you are. Who do you belong to as a believer, as a person who's come to faith in Christ? That means at one point in your life, you have said, I am a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. That Savior is Christ. I repent of my sin, and I trust in Him. I will live my life for Him out of all the joy and comfort that I know that I can have by just trusting Him. And that's what we just sang as worship this morning. 
we mostly understand this. Verse 8, formerly. So now Paul is addressing the believers that he assumes and knows are believers because of their profession. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Now, for a lot of us, we don't remember that. I was a believer at the age of 13, possibly the age of five, but I don't remember being saved at five. That's why I remember at 13 at camp saying, I call upon the name of the Lord. I knew I was born again. I know that. I do remember what it was like some nights thinking, like, I think I'm saved. Like the, my parents tell me that I'm saved, but the pastor would always be saying things like, like, listen, it's not, you're not saved because your parents declared salvation over you. You're not saved because of something that your parents did. You're saved because you call upon the name of the Lord. And I was always struggling with that. Like, I don't think I have. I think I have. I don't even know. I would lay there thinking, if I die, I'm going to go to hell because I don't have Jesus as my Savior. I need to. And I remember waiting for that Thursday chapel, telling my youth pastor, after chapel, you have to come and get me. I have to talk to you. He was like, okay. I mean, he just waited at the front. Eventually, I came forward. We went outside, and I prayed. And I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I know, I know that I've done that, and I know that he's mine. Paul is encouraging them and saying, formerly when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that are not God's. We know what that's like. We're tempted with it all the time. To follow and find our identity, right? If someone asks who you are, your identity comes from your job, your family, where you live, where you've been, what you have. Am I wrong in that? That's what we know. Except that we know that we are in Christ. That overrules all of those things. We know that we belong to Jesus. We've been blessed with where we live and where we've been and what we have. We're blessed with those things by God. But look with me at verse 9. But now, but now that you have come to know God, and then Paul catches himself and says, or rather to be known by God. We're going to sit on this subject matter for just a second. To know God, I think, is what most all people do. They know about God, right? So we have God as he exists, the one true God that Scripture has described for all of us. This is Him, right? That's the simplest thing I can do. This is Him. And then we have a, a, just an insane amount of number of ways of religion or experiences or laws or rituals that supposedly help you get to the one true God, right? Those are the people that are kind of like, well, I mean, this is how I grew up. I kind of know this. Or, or God is, right? When you meet a person and they share with you, well, you know, God is, and then they tell you something that you're just like... Like your head's about to, your neck's going to break. You're like, no, God is not like that at all. That means they don't know the God of the Bible, but they just know God. And that huge difference here is when Paul transitions and says, or rather to be known by God. People will say it all the time. You can know Jesus. You can know about Jesus, but does Jesus know you? Your name being written in the Lamb's book of life, that is knowledge. God knows of you. God has saved you. Because you've called on his name. You've done what scripture requires of you. And it's by faith, trusting in him, not by doing anything else. John 10, 14. On the subject matter of being known, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own. And my own know me. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, the real thing is not to try and figure out how much do you know about God that gives you an inner confidence of I'm a believer now. 
Because when a person comes to Christ, especially a person who comes to church for the first time, invited by their friend, hears the gospel, and accepts Christ, they don't know anything about God. But now they're going to follow him because he knows them. Same for you. God knows you. And one of the evidences that we say, does God know you? Are you following him? Are you doing what scripture says? Are you loving other people? And the real reason we're going over this again is because it was in freedom and now it became legalism. We're going to go back to the law. We're going to go back to the procedures. We're going to go back to the ceremonies to find our acceptance instead of saying it's already found and it's already done. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he says this, what matters supremely therefore, is not the final analysis or the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. When he knows you, that's it. He knows you. Now, we know him, and we struggle at times in clearly defining and understanding why the things in our lives are happening the way they are, and it will challenge us to think rightly about who God really is. When that happens, then we say, wait a minute, I have to go find out what he says about himself. What he's declared to be true, not what I think or feel, might be true based on my circumstances alone. Tim Keller says a very similar thing, and I wanted to read this one to you as well. Tim Keller's book, uh, The Commentary for Galatians, says... What makes a person a Christian is not so much your knowing God, but his knowing of you. See, that's the thing that legalism can kind of trick us into. Like the more I know, the more I learn, the more I can say, the more I can quote, all, then I am more pleased to, pleasing to God. When it's exactly the opposite, his knowing us is a complete and done deal at the moment of our salvation. To know in the Bible means more than intellectual awareness. To know someone is to enter into a personal relationship with him or her. So then, Paul says, it's not so much your regard and love for God, but rather his regard and love for you that makes you a Christian. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.3 that anyone who loves God does so because God knows them. That is, he has set his love on us in Jesus. Our knowing God will rise and fall depending on many things. But God's knowing of us is absolutely fixed and solid. See, the problem that they're facing is that they wanted to go back. That second part of verse 9. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? But does that, does that even make sense? You, you want to go be a bagger and, and put groceries in a bag? It's challenging? Like it's a fulfilling career? I don't mean that as a negative of anybody that actually bags groceries. Someone's going to have to do it. It's going to be somebody's first job. But you take somebody that doesn't need to be there, that just wants to be there. You would, that, what? That doesn't make sense. A person who has experienced the freedom of Christ to be set free to live their life. 
and they want to go back to a system of what it was like when they didn't have hope? When they worshipped the creation and not the creator? When they would go and turn to things, success, money, all of these other things, by a system, they would go back to that? Why? Why would they go back to that? Here's what he said to the Colossians. The Colossians had received a similar address. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, those are kind of the processes and steps that we all need as believers. When we're saved in Christ alone, we need to walk in Him. What does that look like? How do we walk in Christ? We, we read what he said. Pretty simple. Most of your Bibles possibly have it in red. Those are the things that Jesus said. What does Jesus want you to do? What is his will for your life? What are his desires for you as his child? If you don't know, you're not walking in him. You're not being rooted and built up in him. You're not establishing yourself in your faith by going to his promises and believing and trusting in them so that you can live differently. Here's what happens, because here's the warning that Paul gave to Colossians, which is the exact similar warning he's giving to the Galatians, which is the exact same thing that we need to be reminded of today so that we're careful not to say, it would be better, this church is great, but if, and then we try and apply a standard to the people around us that would make it better. Right? If everybody would just, and then you think of your own feeling of like, if everybody would just do or dress or be or sing or whatever, if they would all just do that, then it would be perfect, then it would be great then we know we're being tempted to walk back into a legalistic style of thinking. So Colossians 2, part of verse 9 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Then later on in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Why would you turn back? Whose slaves you want to be once more. Go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 10. He says, to them, similar to what he said to the Colossians, you observe days and months and seasons and years. You're not supposed to do that. Walk in Christ, be rooted and built up in him. Remember what you've been taught. Abound in thanksgiving, not go back and observe days, months, and seasons and years so that you can proclaim your own goodness because you did a thing. And then in verse 11, he says, I am afraid I, might, I may have labored over you in vain. That's very frustrating. To have taught them the gospel, to have them receive the gospel, to see them express joy in the gospel, and then say, well, we're going to go back to the other thing. We're going to go back to that. Being rooted, being built up, just as you were taught, brings us to our second point this morning. Our second point in understanding Paul's call to stay the course in Christ alone is this. Realize who you should follow. Realize who you should follow. The first part of verse 12, it says, Brothers, I entreat you. Now notice the change in, in direction and directive as he's, as he's talking. A lot of times he comes across like the lawyer who's explaining, right? If you go get a lawyer for whatever reason, that lawyer is going to explain up and down what you've done that was right or wrong, and he's going to give it to you in ways you're probably not going to understand, but he's going to tell you how it is. Legally speaking, he's going to give you your options. 
Anybody dealt with a lawyer in terms of that? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Very to the point, very fact of the matter, very cut and dried. There it is. It's on the table, right? Paul is doing that and he does it a lot. He lays it out there and just calls it as it is and says, follow Christ. Why would you go back? You're free. But then we come to verse 12, the first part of that 12, when he says the word brothers, right? If I look at you and if I say to you, hey, parents, could you do a better job with your teenagers? Hey, parents, could you do this? Or if I say, hey, all of us as parents, we've got to strive together better, right? That's more received, right? Because I'm not just saying, hey, you need to do something and I'm distant from you because I'm up here, right? You know? I'm up here, you're down there, you don't know what you're doing, I know what I'm doing. Paul says brothers. He puts himself in context with them as a fellow believer in Christ, freed from the law. He puts himself in the same place. Galatians 2.19, earlier on in the letter, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Has anyone seen this verse before? Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1. Has anybody seen that verse recently? Have you seen it anywhere? It's on the sign, and it's been on the sign for four weeks now, right? Galatians 5.1. Sometimes I wonder, like Paul said, I wonder if I've, uh, you know, worked in vain, right? What's the point in the sign, right? People walk by, it's got the name, right? So we know, you know where you are. For some of you, you're like, where am I? Okay, here's the church, right? But you saw that verse, and it says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's what he's telling them right now in chapter 4. Chapter 5, he's going to say the same thing again. You're going to get that feeling of the lawnmower. Here it goes. It's going in a circle again. Didn't we just talk about this? Yes, it's extremely important that we stand firm in the freedom of Christ. The freedom of it. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. See, in Philippians 3, we remember this verse. Though I myself, Paul is stating, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. We stand in Christ, and sometimes we do think that we have been saved because we are actually a genuinely great person. We're pretty good. And some of you would go as far as to say, you're really good. And you know that's why Jesus saved you. At any point in time, as all of which God has existed, and we see in Scripture that before the foundations of the world, He chose. But He chose you because you're good. And He wanted you. It's, he wanted you because He loved you and He chose you. Not based on any merit, not based on any work that you've ever done. He chose you. Do we know why? Because God is good in saving some and those that He saves that we see here. He didn't save because of something that we did. That allows you to sit back and say in your own freedom, it's not that I had a standard and I met it, now I've got to keep it. You're a sinner and He saved you. He sent his son to die for you. He called you into repentance. You confess with your mouth you are a believer. Many of them, like Paul, when he says, I have become as you are, 
We understand culturally speaking back then when a Jewish person rejected Judaism and followed after Christ, they were ostracized and they were pushed away. Some of you may face very similar things. Thanksgiving for a lot of us is a great time to get together. It's a great time to be with family. But you have to understand that there are some believers in this church, when they go meet with their families, they're not as welcome as you've ever thought could be possible. They don't invite. You have to invite yourself. You've got to get yourself back in. You've got to push your way back in because the family believes something different. The family believes nothing at all. They don't want to hear anything from you about Christ. But you go and you're with family and you're showing grace and love. Paul knows exactly what's that like. Because he went from being the best of the best of the worst at doing the things of the church and following the law and being well known and well favored. And he put it all away because Christ was worth more. He now follows Christ alone. He knows what that's like. I want to ask you this question so that when you're giving the gospel and you're living your life for others to see who Jesus is, do you realize that there will be new believers who will need to follow you as you are following Christ? But at any moment, as you're leading a young believer or a new convert, a person who's just come to Christ, and you're teaching them all your standards and your thoughts and you, the way you think it should be, you're going to hurt that Christian. We need this to be done. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And he already declared it to him earlier in the letter. They would remember that. He died to the law so that he could live to God in Christ. As you entreat others, remember this. You remember where you've been. You remember what you used to believe, and you remember what you used to think. And as you remember that, you can go to another person and say, I do understand what you're saying. But don't go based on what you think or what you feel. Let's see what God says about us. Let's see what God says. That's realizing who you should follow. Then we go on to the next few verses. The, the last part of verse 12 through verse 16 is number 3. It's remember what you have done. Paul's call to stay the course in Christ alone is that we should remember what we have done. Remember what the Galatians have done for and to Paul. He starts off in that other section of that verse where he says, uh, I have also become as you are. And then he says, you did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or, desp or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, just a little bit of context. Paul, as he went to Galatia, probably didn't go there specifically. He went there to probably rest up and heal as he was traveling through some of the lower southern regions, a lot more humidity, a lot more difficulty, and he probably got malaria. Now, this is what some scholars say. So there's really no hardcore, that's what it is, he had malaria. But think about this. Has there ever been, ever been an opportunity in your life where you were going to give the gospel to someone, you're on fire, and you're going to that person, and you want to talk with them, and it just all falls apart? And then there's other times in your life where you're extremely busy, everything's falling apart, and all of a sudden there's an opportunity to give the gospel. Right? Your car breaks down, you're going to the shop, the tow truck driver's driving you there, doing whatever, helping you out, and he, you see a little patch on his car that says, follow Jesus. And you're like, oh, follow Jesus, huh? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I, ju I, ju I just got saved last week, and it's so new to me. Man, I, 
man, I'm just really discouraged, though. I don't know what to do. And you're like, all right, I'll talk to you. I'll tell you what you should do. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what... And you're in the middle of, like, I wasn't expecting that. Here's Paul probably going to Galatia to restore, to get health, to rest. Has malaria. Malaria can mess up your eyes. Malaria can do a lot of things to you. Now, if it was junior high right now, I would tell you all the horrible things that he was going through, if you can imagine, and even back in those days, it's not the kind of comfort that we have today when we have any kind of sicknesses. So you understand when he says, my condition was a trial to you, whether he couldn't see well, whether he was just sick constantly, whatever it was, they didn't treat him like a sick person and just push him away. They received him as if he came like Christ. If Christ had come, that's how they treated him. And that's a huge deal. So he goes there, and then he says to them, what has become of your blessedness? Your contentment in all things to show love and grace to other people. What happened to that? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's not a cultural expression. I looked, I tried to see, like, is that something you would say to people if you were just super friendly? Like everybody that helped Pastor Brian move, it was like you would have gouged out your eyes, but you helped him move, right? You're like, Nobody says that, right? That's what leads us to believe possibly that he had vision issues because some of the people loved him so much that they knew he had labored so much. They had known what he'd been through, the various beatings, the shipwreckings, and all these other problems. They loved him so much that the expression is they would have taken their own eyes if they could and given them to him so that he could further do his work better. That's really loving someone, isn't it? That's really showing love, and it's gross, right? At different times, people move, people need help with stuff, and we say, I volunteer. <laughs> I uh, give myself, I volunteer as tribute, right? That's what we would say. I will come help you move, and I always do that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to help you move. But I always get partnered up with someone short who can't carry the stuff the same height as I can, or I have to, I have to bend more than other people. I have to lean further because I'm taller, and it makes my back hurt more. Some of it's because of my own uneducated ways of lifting, but a lot of times I'm like, you know what? I love the person. I'm going to go help them. It's not the thing that I wake up tomorrow going, okay, so within the window of right Monday, uh, driving the bus, going in the office, drive the bus, I hope someone needs to move because I long for that, Right? No, we long for vacation. We don't long for, like, with my extra time, can I help you move? But we do it. Why? Because we love. That's who the Galatians were to Paul. He came to them, and they're trying to keep the law. They're trying to do their best. They're frustrated because what are the Judaizers doing? What are the scribes and Pharisees doing? They're pressing on them more and more laws above and beyond what God ever said, and they're strained. And they're like, I don't even know if I'm going to be good enough. I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't even know if God is... Uh, they were just frustrated. He said, here's the gospel. The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. Call on his name. Repent of your sin and believe. And a lot of them did. And they loved him. They loved him. I want you to remember that. Because a lot of times, as pastors, I know for Pastor Brian and myself, we both have various stories that we talk about of different people. We've come to Christ. We've been there with them. We've walked them through difficulty. We've either went with them through their marriage and united them and done their weddings. I've done, I think, seven weddings in my time in ministry. And there's certain couples that you just love and you do everything you can for them and you're there for them and you're walking them through it. And then one day they start to just fall away from Christ. And then when you come to them and say, your issues are rooted in not following Christ, they look at you like you're an idiot. And they walk away. One couple, their marriage is over. It's done. It's awful. It's not just like, well, we couldn't get along. It's awful because they walked away from Christ. And any interaction that I brought to that put me in the same spot. How did I become the enemy? Why am I the bad guy? 
Paul's asking them that. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I think there is a very severe and direct correlation to how much you experience and understand God's forgiving grace to you as to how much you'll show it to someone else. Because I'm not going to do it perfect every time. I'm going to make mistakes because I'm not perfect. But when I don't do it right, that's your opportunity to say, you didn't do it right. And I say, you're right, I didn't. And grace is extended both ways. But the truth has to be spoken. There's an obvious warning for all Christians, especially anyone who will teach or preach the Bible. It's always important to always speak love and speak the truth. No matter how hard or difficult the situation is, the truth is what must be delivered. You have to tell your family members. You have to tell your coworkers. When they say, sin is okay, you have to say in love, God says no. You'll become the enemy possibly. But we're wondering, why did Paul become the enemy, the one that led them to Christ? It's a, it's a frustration. It's a difficulty. Now, I might say, okay, everybody, come on, you know, give me a hug. I just need a hug. I'll be okay. No, no, it's tough, and I know to do it. I know that it happens, and I've seen it happen in Scripture. I saw it happen to Paul, and we've seen it happen to Jesus. Why would I think it wouldn't happen to me? If it happens to Jesus, the one who spoke truth and love perfectly, some walked away. Some still deny his message, and some still won't receive it. What, 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 do I have a better stake in, in the game all of a sudden? Well, you know, now that I'm here, it'll all be great. Now that you're there, now that you're the co-worker, you'll do, no, the same thing may happen. But in no way, shape, or form are you not supposed to confront it or say anything about it. Paul didn't go to the Galatians, they come to Christ and he just disappears. Let's look at number four. Number four. Paul's call to stay the course in Christ alone is to recognize the warnings of where you are going. Recognize the warnings of where you're going. Basically, Paul is telling them, your friends are wrong. My, my parents had to tell me that. I had a teacher one time tell me that. Miss Weaver, my English teacher, in high school. We'd watch a video every once in a while, and all the friends would sit together, and I sat in the back corner as much as I could, and I would goof off and cut up and whatever. I, mean, I learned English, right, because I had to take it twice in college. Uh, and then one day, I ended up having to switch my seat, and I'm sitting by the door. We're watching a video of whatever we're watching for whatever reason, and the teacher's standing by the door, and my friends are kind of off on the other side. They're cutting up and doing whatever, and she just says to me, Jamie, you don't have to act like that. I know you're better than that. You don't need them. Don't act like that. She flat out just told me. They're, they're wrong. Those friends are not good for you. Just my English teacher. My English teacher cared enough to say, what are you doing? You're just trying to make them happy? You're trying to make them laugh? It's not going to do you any good. God, I'm 42 years old. She told me that when I was 15 years old. I didn't forget it. Didn't like it at the time. Because everybody was like, oh, teacher, you know, she's telling you whatever. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know. It stuck with me, though. And I'm telling you, as you go to other people, when they're pursuing Christ plus works plus all these other things, you come to them with Scripture and you tell them, your friends, possibly your family, possibly whatever they're doing is wrong. But you don't go to them saying, well, because what I think is better. You go to them with what Jesus says. You go to them with what the Bible says. 
If you take anything else, all you're doing is saying, my opinion is better than yours. That's not how it works. In love, you're showing them this is what the Bible teaches. This is what it is. Paul says to them, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that they may make much of them. See, a Judaizer needs a weak-minded person to follow. They need them to follow them. They need to be able to tell them, yeah, you can't cut your hair like that. You can't wear clothes like that. Yes, you have to be here from 6 to 12. And yes, you can't do that on Saturday. And you can't do this on Wednesday. And you have to cut your hair like this. And your beard has to be trimmed like that. And your family has to go here and you have to do this. They, they, they thrive on that. Because then when people get successful at it, what do they do? They just get a few more rules in there. Because they're going to stay on the top. You're going to stay on the bottom. You're always going to be the servant. You're always going to be the one that gets upended by something new and something more. And that's what was happening. And Paul's telling them, they're just going to shut you out. Verse 18, he says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you. Paul sought them for a good purpose. He sought them out of love so that they would know Christ. Now, I know you may have neighbors or kids or various people that you interact with that you're like, man, they need Jesus more than anything because they're getting on my nerves, right? They just need to get saved so they'll stop screaming all the time, right? They just need to get saved so my coworker won't be so annoying all the time. He just needs to get saved. What kind of a nonsense are we telling them? They need to get saved because they're a sinner, and the same aspect was true for you. The good purpose was for the glory of God. Paul came to those who said, no, no, we're set in our ways. We're having a good time trying to struggle and fight. What do you mean it's free? No, 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 we're good. We have our rules. What do you mean there aren't rules on how we live? What? Who is Jesus? And then Jesus is explained to them, and it's all to the glory of Jesus, not Paul. Paul never once says, okay, oh, you foolish Galatians, remember all the people I saved. Even when he calls them foolish Galatians, he's saying it's towards Christ you need to turn. But then he says, brothers. And then in a minute, we're going to hear him say this. Let's go to number five. Paul's call to stay the course in Christ alone is remember where you should be. There's a transition again. He, he says brothers because he's talking to them as equals of those who are born again in faith alone, in Christ alone. And they can all work in a sense. I know that I say the word work, but they can work in their understanding of knowing God, which expresses itself in more freedoms. Verses 19 and 20, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So it's not like a lawyer, but it's not just like the brother. It's like the father. It's like the dad. See, there comes a time, even when I'm teaching my own kids, I tell them what they can't do. I tell them what they can do, right? That's a role of a father and a mother, right? You can do this. You cannot do this. You need to do that. You need to stop that. And then put that lawnmower in effect on both of those because we keep covering it, right? You think they would have got it? Nope, we keep covering it. And Lincoln was in here this morning. I kept saying some examples, and he's like, like, because he's in here now. Before he was in children's church, he used to never hear this stuff. Now he's like, Dad, you're talking about me in the service. I was like, well, I mean, you're just an example, right? I got to be careful. I'll be careful because he's not, he's not the best one. He's not the worst one. He's one of them, right? He's one of my kids at which I teach and I repeatedly say these things to. And if that's all I do, eventually my son would look to me and say, in coldness of his heart, you don't care. You don't care. All you say is what I can do. All you say is what I can't do. And it would frustrate him. 
We would be frustrated with God if he just gave us 10 commandments and that was it. Send his son to die on the cross, that was it. If he just did that, what would we have? We would become frustrated because at one point in time, as we look through scripture, we hear the tone of my little children. And we feel a sense of love for a person who is directing us to what we need. As I tell them, eventually it comes to Lincoln, Brady, Marshall, listen to me. Listen to me. You can't keep riding into the street without looking. You can't do it because you could die. That's pleading. That's entreating my son to not just say, you broke my rule or you did something. It's listen. Because I love you, I'm telling you this. Paul is saying that to the Galatians. I love you so much. That's why I'm telling you this. Your friends are wrong. It's wrong and you've got to stop. You've got to turn back. He says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He's going back to that early stage of I've given you the gospel. Will you accept it? You have. Now let's do what? Let's build up. Let's walk in him. Those early phases, right? If you have to go back to an adult because they can't walk, what are we doing? Now, in a story that 2020 did, way back when the first Gulf War happened, there was a news reporter who was in a Humvee who was shot by a sniper. The sniper bullet hit his helmet, but it also hit his head. Severe damage. Different medical practices allowed for them to take that part of his skull off to allow healing to happen, to put that part of his skull back on. That's as gross as we'll get. Um, but he had to basically learn how to talk again. In the series, in the show, they're talking to his daughters and they're holding up a note card and he's going, he's looking at it. And he's like, and the girl's like, dog. It's a dog. And he's like, dog. This guy was an eloquent news reporter. He had to learn to speak again because of a severe interaction that damaged his brain, okay? But we're looking at this and we're saying, I've got to go back to the moment of childbirth with you? That anguish and that turmoil? that I don't know anything about. Some of you ladies are like, uh, you would not go back to that with your kids. You would not be like, yeah, yeah, let's go back to that phase. Of all the phases you would go back to, that's not the one you're like, can I do that again? You're like, no, I did that. And they're going to they're gonna grow up now. That's what they should have been doing, but they didn't. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Every time Paul writes that, he writes later, do you see the hands, do you see the large letters that I'm writing to you with? I think that's another reason why we see his bad eyes at the end of Galatians. Do you see with my own hand, he signs and writes the last part of the letter. We see that he loves them so much that that's remembering. Where, where should I be in this relationship of growth right now? As a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old adult, we all know. But as a believer, where should you be? Some in our church have just come to Christ within the year. Some have been Christians for decades. We know where we should be. We should be built up and walking in Him. But when He says He's perplexed, I'm, I'm confused. Like, why would you take the free gift of salvation and say, I don't want that. I want to go back to try and see if I can figure it out myself. Okay? So, so last Wednesday, we, we, our youth lesson... It was on Thanksgiving, right? Because we're not going to meet this week. There's no Wednesday activities this week. So we, I did a lesson on Thanksgiving, thankfulness. 
Shouldn't you be thankful, right? So I started with 27 biblical reasons, right? 27. So you, they're all shocked. So there's 27 reasons. I said, listen, because some of my note takers in youth group are good note takers and they want to get it all. And I said, listen, don't try and get all 27. That's not the point. Try and get the ones that speak the most to you. But some of them still, right? Some of them were like, I'm getting them all. And, and you could see them. They were just like, they were doing it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. They're going to have all 27. So when the time comes, anyone that was in that lesson on Wednesday, when they sit around the table and someone says, what are you thankful for? I prayed over the whole group that they would be the one to say, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ, my Savior. I'm thankful that I have salvation and no one can take it from me. I'm thankful that God watches over me. And there's 27 of those things, right? So there's a couple of the younger, junior, higher guys in the front, and they're just, I don't know what they're doing. I can't, I, I, every once in a while I look at them and they're just, I'm like, all right, I'm like encouraged. These guys, like they don't normally take notes. They're doing good. I'm excited for this. And I get to the end and I'm going to pray. I'm like, all right, let's pray. And then one of them says to the other one, yeah, how many did you get? And he's like, we got 432. I was like, I said, what kind of crazy math are you guys doing? He holds me up his paper. Basically, when I started teaching, he wrote the number one, the number two, the number three, the number four, and they just kept going. They were competing to see who could get the highest. And I thought, like in, inside me, it was like the joy of ministry. It just went like, I was like, I thought they were taking notes. And I'm like, Perplexed is the only word I could think of because I'm like, well, I'm not going to get mad at them because inside I'm kind of like, what are you doing? Like, that's the legitimate question. What sense does that make that two believers, as far as I know, I've heard their testimonies, decided instead of finding out what we're thankful for and writing that down, let's see who can write numbers the most. <laughs> Junior high minds. I'm perplexed. I kind of got to go back a little bit with some of them sometimes. You know that feeling of, wait a minute, I thought we were tracking together. I thought we were making progress. But when you stopped and looked back, they're still back there looking at a tree going, have you ever seen a tree before? <laughs> Junior hires, they're trying to climb it, see who can fall the furthest. I don't know what they're doing. And I'm like, oh. But then I'm like, okay, listen, that is what ministry is. Like there was a side of me that was like, oh my word. And I know everybody was looking at me because as they all saw it, they kind of chuckled, but they were looking at me like, what's he going to do to them? And I was like, listen, guys, I'm just going to pray for you. Like I, I prayed for them to have a character that just overshined every other character that's out there. Like prayed for them because that's what you got to do because you're going to have family members. You're going to have loved ones. You're going to have other people in this church that just seem to not get it. And they keep being comforted by the wrong thing. They keep turning back to it. And you have to remember, there's no turning back. Don't turn back to that. Look to Christ. Look to his promises. Look to the hope that he gives. And let's do that together. And when someone comes and tells you that, you, you receive it with grace because they're giving you the truth. Don't turn on the people who are bringing truth to you. You must find Christ and you must have him alone. There's no salvation in any other. You must have it. John Stott, in his commentary in his book called The Message of Galatians, he says this, and it's our final thought. It says, the church needs people who, in listening to their pastor, listen for the message of Christ. And pastors, in laboring among the people, look for the image of Christ. So each time we come together, right, we're going to put that stake in the ground and we're going to let that lawnmower start going, right? Every corner is Christ, right? Except it's a circle. Right? So there are no corners. So when is it about Christ? It's always. 
It's every turn. It's every little blade. It's every little section. It's Christ. It's Christ alone, and then we're learning more, and then we're learning new, but it's Christ alone. Let that be a freedom-giving thought to you. It's in Christ alone. It's in him knowing me, not me trying to do something or to get somewhere. It's him knowing me. And that moment began when you, with your mouth, confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's when you called on his name, and that's when you became a believer. The praise team is going to come. Uh, I believe we're going to close in a song. As you are meditating on this principle, as you're thinking about Paul's call to stay the course in Christ alone. I know that every once in a while you're going to have that thought. It's in Christ alone, but... but because remember how your parents, you know, they taught you the things that they said? You, you remember what that one church you used to go to? They always, but the church here doesn't do that. But, but it's, it's in Christ alone. It's in him alone we have and will be who we are meant to be. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for our time. I thank you that in, in a loving way, Paul is showing us how we should entreat and how we should be desirous of others to live in the freedom of Christ. For some of us, it's been 20, 30, 40 years that we've been living in Christ, and we have enjoyed freedom in you. I pray that if there's those that are out there that are still searching to seek out Christ, possibly by seeking out Christ through various means and measurements of things, help them turn to you alone. Help them understand that you, in your love, sent your Son for us. And we live enjoying freedom. It's why you came. You bought us. We belong to you. We're yours. We should not turn back because we know you will never turn back. Help us understand that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.